I watched so I watched it last night. I finished it last night. Cool. But it was like pretty late. Um I'm hoping I remember everything <laughs> because I was kind of eager to just go to bed. <laughs> yeah, I feel that. I I watched it after like a really eventful day where I like I had a craving for this particular like cookie from a particular bakery and the one that was open is in a place called Gangam uh at you know like the, the yeah. place where Sai named his song after. Uh-huh. But uh, yeah, I like went to that mall on a whim, and it turns out it's the biggest underground mall on the on the planet. Okay. <laughs> I was wow. walking, I was walking around that mall for like almost like an hour, like not being able to find this bakery. I thought I was going insane. So and I like finally found it, got home, and I was an just like hour. super hyped up. And so it's just like I need to do something with all this energy. And so yeah, I watched it after that. So what did you, what what did you get at this bakery? Uh, I got three chocolate chips and a oatmeal raisin. It was like the last. There was like six cookies left, and so I bought okay. most of them. Wow, it took you an hour. <laughs> yeah, and it was like forty five. Damn good. <laughs> forty five minutes away on the bus, so it was like a like on the other side of town. This place is massive. It's called the Starfield Coex Mall, and so it has okay. like a concert venue. There's exhibition halls. Huh. Like I walked through like an art gallery while doing this. While I was leaving, there's like a K-pop concert going on, and fireworks started going off. Shit! It was a very eventful night. Has it been pretty easy communicating with the locals? Uh, it's mostly like my coworkers who I'm talking to, and only a, a few of them speak like just full-on English. So it's it's a it's a little rough, but okay. yeah, I'm learning. I try to yeah. like really embrace learning Korean, but it's it was. <laughs> kind of difficult at first uh the duolingo wasn't super helpful okay it was like just teaching me like say like starbucks but it's starbucks it's like it's just like kind of like brands sponsoring that app or something the way that yeah duolingo does it is you have to sort of do it by tiers and so i was just like i know like how to say hello and goodbye and thank you i kind of just want to jump in at that level but it was it started me off real slow and then like really basic hongul characters and stuff and so i was just like this isn't quite what i was looking for but I, i've been able to get by how do you say hello my name is thomas uh at least i can say uh <laughs> on ninja say yo is hello but i don't know how to say my name is uh, i know okay. to pronounce thomas is thomas thomas would you say i am thomas instead of my uh... name is thomas I'm not exactly sure. <laughs> I'm failing this pop quiz. Uh, I, I don't know exactly. <laughs> All right. Shall we get into this? Yeah. Should we do the I'm clap? like super low energy right now. But <laughs> 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 I think I had, I had like a big sandwich and I think like all the carbs are like, I'm like carb crashing or whatever. Those, those big sandwiches will do it. Yeah. Uh, sorry, yeah, what, were, what were you saying? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say I'm kind of in the same position where, yeah, look, doing this before work is really interesting because I'm always just like still a little sleepy from yeah. from the night. And so, yeah, I don't know. Okay. I'm with you on that. Uh, oh, yeah, I think I'm introducing this one. Shit. Okay. Should, should we count it down or are we going to skip that? <laughs> well, yeah, let's count it down. Okay. Three, Three two, two, one. One. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 55 of Vague Zone. I am Daniel. Thomas. 
And today we are discussing the Kim Ji-woon film, The Quiet Family, from 1998. Uh, Thomas, before we get into it, will you read for us the plot synopsis from IMDb? Yes. So, Quiet Family, Kim Ji-woon. A family opens a mountain inn where their first guest commits suicide. Suddenly, all their guests befall horrible fates. It's a little spoiler heavy, but that's a, a nice, concise <laughs> yeah. synopsis of this movie. Um, so Thomas, this was your pick. Uh, do you want to tell us first off, why did you pick this movie? And then, uh, what were your thoughts on it? So I picked this movie, number one, as our viewers probably know and are tired of hearing, I'm currently living in South Korea. And so I wanted to get a little bit more into just, uh, Korean movies, you know, uh, Squid Game is really, really popular right now. And sort of, yeah, we talked a little bit about, uh, we did the Vengeance Trilogy not too long ago. So yeah, Korean film was definitely like on the mind. And this director has a really interesting filmography. This is his first film. And he has some more uh, horror movies like I Saw the Devil is something that he's made. Um, a Tale of Two Sisters came out a few years after this. Um, he has a, a, a Western like comedy movie called The Good, The Bad, and The Weird. Um, he has a movie called The Last Stand, which was Arnold Schwarzenegger's first movie after, le after leading politics. And it stars Arnold and Johnny Knoxville and Forrest Whitaker. So yeah, this guy has a very peculiar filmography. And I like, I just had to just kind of just dive in from the beginning and just see what this guy was about. And it turns out that this movie also stars um, two actors that uh, one, uh, Choi Min Sik, who is uh, Odesu from Old Boy. Mm -hmm. So that's one little connection. And Song Kang Ho, who is the star of Parasite, which was Best Picture from a few years ago. And so, yeah, I thought it was really interesting that those two actors are like in this weird, dark comedy at like the beginning of their careers. And they sort of later got a lot more popular, a lot more known in the West. And so there's a lot of reasons why I wanted to watch this movie uh, besides just like the really absurd, uh, pl uh, not plot, the really absurd um, uh, story or whatever. Uh, <laughs> totally blanking on the word. But yeah, I... I enjoyed it it's a really it's a it's not perfect there's some stuff i have some gripes with um there's some issues i had with sort of just the direction this movie takes and the tone is a little all over the place it was pitched as a like a dark comedy horror movie i think it's more of a comedy than it is a horror movie but it is interesting it deals with some some pretty dark themes and some dark ideas in this movie and yeah it's 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 very strange it's 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 a lot of fun at parts it's just really wacky and slapsticky in certain moments which i like really enjoyed but um yeah when it handles the more darker themes i don't know it, it didn't quite do those justice in my opinion but uh, overall i like this movie and i enjoyed it but um yeah what do you think about the quiet family um yeah i enjoyed it i i didn't realize until after you had pitched it um when i started looking into it that i'd actually seen the japanese remake from takashi yeah. Miike, uh called the happiness of the katakuris um i actually saw that when i was a teenager and, okay. and it is way weirder than this one uh, <laughs> that one is a musical that also has like claymation in it and stuff uh, okay um, it's very wacky <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, I don't, I don't even think I realized that happiness, the categories was a remake. So it was, it was pretty cool landing on this one for, for this week. Yeah, but, that's um, funny. But yeah, I enjoyed it. I feel like it's, 
it's a little shallow if there's if there's a larger point to this movie then perhaps i'm missing it um the vibe i get from this movie is that it's it kind of feels like sketch comedy or something where you have this joke that is central to what is happening and the joke becomes the game and the actors explore the game uh, until completion and so it yeah it kind of feels like it's just the theme is the joke and we are going it's uh variations on a theme (laughs) um and so yeah and i don't feel like there's a whole lot to the characters here i don't feel like it's like saying anything about humanity or anything like that i think it's just kind of a uh an absurd dark comedy i I find it interesting that you said it was described as as a dark comedy horror because i don't get horror from this at all yeah, that's what Wikipedia says. It's a says it's a South Korean black comedy horror film, and so that's why I was like, "Oh yeah, I'm gonna start with that. That sounds great." But yeah, yeah it, it's not very menacing or have doesn't have anything really scary about it. Like we get at the very like pretty close to the beginning, there's an old woman who is like yelling at the roof of their house, uh, "Get down from there!" She she says she sees a head or something like that. Yeah, um, so that's kind of menacing. Perhaps there's a ghost tale that lies ahead but that's not the case Uh, i think it might just be a sort of foreshadowing of doom Um, yeah but yeah yeah there's no horror vibes here that i found but um overall i really liked it i was laughing pretty hard at some of the shit in this uh yeah i dug it go ahead yeah i was gonna say there's not like no overtly like horror or scary things in this movie but there are some shots towards the end that are really disturbing to sort of look at and I also appreciate the the little bit of uh, plot development that involves some uh, defectors from the north that we never really see, but they're like they mentioned that a few times, and uh, I, I think that it is playing a little bit something with just the idea of uh, just sort of, yeah, just with death and just like playing around with just like how do we sort of uh, digest hearing about. Uh, someone who you consider the enemy being dead or like just death in general and what happens when you sort of like have to hide those things and just the idea of like literally putting those bodies in the earth and then sort of they get unearthed is really interesting so I like what they do with that but um yeah it starts off like pretty light and fun though one of the early early on in the movie we get a, a, a gag when he's like hammering the uh, the sign into the ground and it's, the subtitle says musty in that he switches yeah. it the other way and it changes to misty misty in and like there's yeah just the the entire cast is just they're like a really like you know like a lighthearted family they're you know just like joking about the unhinged woman at the dinner table and they're like practicing imitating her and, and the dad kind of like shuts it down it's like yeah it's interesting you made a face (laughs) yeah it's interesting how aggressive this family is towards each other like yeah uh at one point does the dad kick a dog is that what happens he i I believe so yes yeah he walks off camera and then we hear a dog squealing and then i think it runs out the door um but yeah there there's a moment where the uncle is like strangling one of the daughters uh the way people shout at each other is really do, do you know what i'm talking about with the uncle yes the <laughs> yeah i do know what you're talking about it, it made me think of uh 
there's a like the classic screenwriting book, uh, Save the Cat, where you want your heroes to have a moment of compassion and have like a moment where yeah. they like it helps to sympathize with them. And I was like, that feels like the exact opposite. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> the dad gets up and just kicks the dogs like, oh shit, this guy's this guy's kind of a fucker. And so like, and this sort of follows that thread a little bit further on when the rest more more guests sort of arrive at the hotel. But I was going to ask you, what do you think about the performances in this movie? Because I think that was something that kind of stuck out to me, especially with a song king ho's character um kang uh, the the son kang is he's like probably the, mo- the most animated out of all of them i uh, it's interesting so as i was watching it first off it's just interesting to see this actor so young uh song Kang ho kang mm-hmm. ho song kang ho right yeah <laughs> um and like i remember look i looked it up because this is his fifth role and he's only 21 here i believe um so it's just kind of wild seeing this actor who we've come to know in the u.s like at such a young age but yeah, uh, yeah. as far as the performance goes it's like like it's it's interesting it's interesting to me to see how his character kind of shifts over the course of the movie and i guess maybe how the family itself shifts over the course of the movie because it goes yeah. from being this the deaths are this major problem that they're panic panicking and trying to deal with to being something that they kind of start laughing about and with him bearing the bodies especially it becomes a point of pride for him how easy it is to dig these holes and bury the bodies yeah uh, there's a great beat with like he did it in 30 minutes so that reminds yeah. me of my friend from the military like oh he's so good yeah they're all reminiscing and having a laugh about it over over dinner um yeah but uh, his his laugh in particular really stuck out to me it's like this really maniacal high-pitched like like almost like comic booky kind of laugh that he has, especially at the very end, uh, yeah. When he's just laughing at, yeah, we're gonna spoil things. I don't think it's a huge deal. Um, yeah. A North Korean spy turns out was one of the victims of this family. <laughs> yeah, and he's just like inside of a, a, like a hospital. I was gonna say mental hospital, but it just seems like it's a regular hospital, yeah, it's hospital. for just a regular hospital for his head injury that he gets. And yeah, he's just like this really high pitched, like maniacal laughter. Then it like kind of fades to white. And yeah, it just, he seems like a little like sneaky and reserved in the beginning because he like, he like tricks one of the couple, he tricks one of the couples into leaving the phone off the hook while they're having sex so he can listen into it. And so he's like mm-hmm. giggling in the corner. And so yeah, just his character is just really interesting to me. It is interesting how horny this family is because <laughs> yeah. it's like it's him it's the uncle and then the daughter also is like trying to like lure this man when she's like singing which turns into a terrible scene uh which yeah. i think we need to discuss um yeah the way sexuality is handled in this movie is pretty awful <laughs> uh, yeah it wasn't crazy about that yeah so it's like yeah like the first scene we get is with this couple who are uh renting a room and at first it's it's kind of humorous because the guy is telling her like are you sure you're not too hot with this jacket and at first i was thinking like oh maybe he's just like throwing her some real softballs like trying to like give a hint and she's like yeah. not catching on to the hint but then it's very clear like no she knows what he's doing and she is rejecting him she is not interested in this and she is very blatantly rejecting him when he is like climbing on top of her and stuff so it's uh it is it is becoming a a rape scene um 
And then what is really weird is that when we cut to them having sex, she's like riding on top of him and he looks uncomfortable the entire time. <laughs> like, yeah, the, that's a really, the rhythm of it is really strange. And that, when you're talking about it, cause there's two instances with couples. There's the first one when, uh, when Kang, he basically like, he sneaks up to their room at oh, night yeah, and just crack and he yeah. cracks the door open and he That's just he watches them have sex. And then this couple uh they wake up in the morning and they find him, they've uh taken a bunch of pills and have committed suicide. And yeah. so there's a and there's a really great little detail where like the pill bottle is lodged inside of the candle wax on the table and mm-hmm. like he pulls out the it's just like a indentation of the the pill bottle. I just appreciated the little visual detail. And then they bury those bodies. And it turns out that th- that boyfriend is still alive. They get this like funny little sequence when they think he's dead and they're like, they were trying to hit him with a shovel to keep, to, like, to keep killing yeah, him. Like, well, we have to kill him now. <laughs> yeah. So that, like that, that part was like, oh yeah, it's kind of just, that's silly. But then, yeah, this, the scene with the second time with the second couple, it's like, yeah, like she is very clearly like not into this. And then, uh, yeah, like they cut to then she's on top and then yeah, he's like, he calls on the phone from the lobby and says, oh, I'm doing phone maintenance. You need to leave your phone off the hook. So then he's just like snickering as like they're having sex. And it, yeah, it's just really, really odd. And then it gets sort of turned up even more when you have the daughter. And yeah, she like there's more guests coming to the hotel, sorry, the lodge. And this guy like has an eye for her sort of immediately that he proceeds to get his friend really drunk. And then he like, yeah, she's like she lures them in with a song, but then they go on a hike yeah. at night, and there's then the, turns into a rape scene, <laughs> a very very awkward rape scene inside of the inside of the forest, and then King goes to save them, but he like fails at it, and that yeah, this like pretty horrible scene turns into a comedy scene, which. Honestly, I thought it was pretty funny. <laughs> like, it's unfortunate yeah. that, like, the setup is something so terrible. Like, this is, like, as dark as dark comedy gets in this movie, I think. Yeah. Um, because Really K- dicey. Yeah, Kang goes to, to, you know, beat up the guy who's raping his sister. And what happens is K- the rapist ends up beating up Kang. Or uh, what, what's the character's name? Is it? I don't know what the oh it uh, is Kang yeah the character yeah, name is that, Kang. that's the 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 older brother I don't know what the name of the the other guy the the, the, the rapist I don't, know. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know what his name is but uh, yeah the rapist ends up beating up Kang uh Kang like tells him to get off him he gets off him then Kang decides to pick a fight again the rapist once again beats him up <laughs> uh lets him go and then Kang decides to follow him to try and get the jump on him jump on him one more time. And it results in the rapist hanging from uh, a branch, grabbing a branch before trying to hold on for dear life because he's uh, about to fall off a cliff. The branch breaks. He falls off the cliff. Um, So the comedy there is that, you know, Kang wants to be a hero, but he just keeps getting his ass kicked over and over again. Yeah. And it's it's a fucked up beat to sort of emphasize because, yeah, I feel like this movie has an issue with not really developing the female characters much further than like, just like they're sort of just there to service like the plot progression of these male characters. And uh, I don't know, there's definitely some like, just, just inherent, like it feels just a little bit like cultural misogyny sort of dealing with like the mom characters is kind of just like preparing meals to sort of just 
she's just sort of doing like motherly sort of duties throughout the film. And yeah, there's some offhanded jokes that are even made about the other daughter, because there's two daughters. There's one that's 17 and this other one is a little bit older. And they sort of like, there's like an offhanded joke made about her by the mom or like at some point in the movie. And yeah, it just feels like it, it seems to be in service of, uh, yeah, just the male characters and like more to, to help develop the brother and hit like highlighting yeah. his, like, you know, whatever's going on with his sort of progression. Um, yeah. So I was calling the brother Kang the whole time. Turns out Kang is the family name. So they're all Kang. Uh, yeah. <laughs> his name is uh, Yong Min. Um, yes that's right that's correct that's correct but um good correction good correction but yeah it do, yeah it, like it does this movie have a main character would you say i don't know if it does not exactly yeah like I, it felt like it was leaning towards yeah, young men being like the like the protagonist or at least the person we're supposed to like at least sympathize with the most but also the father has a lot of uh he gets a lot of screen time as well too and sort of, uh, I'm not sure. I feel like I feel like the characters kind of operate in pairs, where it's like the parents are a pair, uh, Young Min and Chen Ku, the uncle, are yeah. sort of feel like a pair, and then the sisters feel like a pair uh, with yeah, the, uh, the other sister, uh, sort of taking a real back seat here, like not really getting much characterization at all. Uh, yeah. She just watches TV. Like that's about all we know is that she likes to watch TV. <laughs> Yeah, that yeah, that's yeah, kind of going with what I was saying. I was like, yeah, it doesn't seem like they know what to do with them exactly. Even when there's there's this really strange detour in this movie when uh Daegu, his boss, shows up with the plot to kill his stepsister. And like there's this whole thing where the uncle sort of develops a little bit of a like crush slash affection yeah. towards the stepsister and tries to take her away to save her and yeah it seems like yeah like i was saying like it feels like these female characters are here to serve like the male characters as far as what they're doing in the plot and uh yeah that's the only parts where i was like it feels really weak it, like it's just just those things just didn't really work for me yeah yeah like even um like the couple that comes and has sex and then uh ends up running away because the dude stole some money for the wallet. It's the dude who's doing all the talking. It's the dude who steals the money from the wallet. Like he's much more of an active role in the movie than uh, the woman he's with. Yeah. It's just, yeah, those parts, those like, like I feel like it'd be like taking a lot of the movie away if those parts weren't in the movie. But yeah, I feel like those sort of like drag it down for me and everything else is like pretty enjoyable and, and like yeah, pretty fun. Like, like I say, like the, the punchline of that scene, if you need to call it a punchline, you said of that, that rape encounter inside of the, the forest is like, it's like that, like him, like falling off the cliff and then coming back, like all bloody with the shovel, like, yeah, like trying to take it even further. It's like, it's just fucking bizarre. And like, and like the entire family sort of teaming up to like get him. And his friend is like, is like, I think that's pretty interesting, but yeah, like the road to get there is, is a really rough road. And like, it's, it's a lot of like suspension, not suspension of belief, but like you sort of have to endure a really dark valley of this movie to sort of get to yeah. those more interesting areas. And it's like, is the payoff, like, is the punchline worth how horrific that setup is? Yeah, <laughs> no, I don't, think, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, 
Yeah. So yeah, I guess that, yeah, that would be a, a fault here. It's 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 too uncomfortable with what it with how how it sets things up. Uh, the payoffs aren't aren't worth it in those moments. Uh, yeah. Otherwise, like this is a pretty strong movie. I think. Um, I really like this sort of like final act with like you said um he's like the uh the owner of the building or something like that right the landowner yes yes, the owner of the building and he is in the process of getting it inherited to him or like like wealth getting inherited to him but his stepsister is sort of a roadblock of that happening and so they have to find a way to get her out of the picture yeah and i i really like this whole scenario of uh the assassins coming he needs to be in the same he needs to be in the room next door to the stepsister uh, but at the same time this is happening the police are trying to investigate and they send a man uh who arrives when the assassin is supposed to arrive and he ends up getting the room next to the stepsister because they mistake him for the assassin like i think all of this stuff's really good and it creates for some really good moments some good comedic moments um because it's comedy of misunderstanding it's not just, yeah, I don't even, like, what do you even call a type of comedy with that, that fight <laughs> yeah. scene? <laughs> yeah. I, there's a really nice shot in that sequence towards the end where the assassin, um, he's, he, like, he basically comes out of his room and he walks into the room next to him and the camera does this really interesting, like, like floaty kind of turn where it, it starts, like, at the room number and it floats away. Mm it dips down up to the doorknob and then he comes out and he has like blood on his face. Yeah. I just thought that was a that really, was really interesting, interesting. Yeah. Like, like a nice, like little movement to the camera that we get. And yeah, like visually, like, like it, there's not a ton of things in this movie that sort of stuck out to me. There's a little bit of like use of shadows and stuff like that. And like, yeah, yeah. But that was like the one, few, one time where I was like, okay, like this is like interesting framing and a nice just visual like i don't know a little something with them to mix it up a little bit yeah um what do you think about just like i guess i'm kind of just stuck on the tone like what do you think about the tone of the movie because i feel like it 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 shifts quite a bit over the course of the movie um what do you like how do you mean because like i feel like it was i don't know i i, I felt like it was pretty consistent i didn't get the sense i i think it ramps up but i, I didn't feel like there was a too much of a shift in tone but uh yeah what do you what do you mean by that i think is the more like the music maybe like hmm. there's like some like rock and roll songs that sort of get thrown in there where it's like like there's like one that's like just like a, a song where the vocals are like screaming and, and like i don't know there's it, it felt like it was more slapsticky and it gets a little bit like i don't know unhinged and a little chaotic towards the center and then um very eerie and menacing towards the end when basically we like this heavy rain sort of falls onto the to the area where this lodge is on this mountain and some of the bodies sort of get uncovered from the rainfall and they're so like they're sort of scrambling to like what to do with these bodies and i don't know a couple of those shots were like it kind of stuck out to me as like legitimately kind of like frightening a little bit just seeing like I think there's those even like lightning the, and stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I see like those faces in the mud. And I was like, oh, I wish that they could have gotten to that a little bit earlier in the movie and gave us a little bit more of that. But I don't know, it's sort of the, the roadmap of this movie is it's just fucking bonkers. It kind of just swerves all over. Yeah, I don't know. It feels like a steady climb to me. And like maybe okay. it's because I've already seen Happiness of the Katakuris. So like I know I know that like once one person dies, 
more people are going to die as the movie continues. It's just a matter of like, how do we get there? Um, yeah. And like the, yeah, the bodies are going to pile up. They're going to keep burying them uh, just outside the house. What are you doing? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. bur- bury them a little deeper. We get a shot. Like the guy falls off a cliff and it's like, you couldn't throw the bodies like off this cliff. I don't know. I guess there's hikers. Yeah. But it's like the family knows yeah. there's gonna be road construction. They should have thought of this better. <laughs> they should have burned those bodies way quicker. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I, it, I don't know. There's also some, I think there's something worth mentioning out that the first the first guest is like he he's like this he's like this singular guy. He shows up in the night. He asks for a room. Like the entire family's like crowded around him. Yeah. Like and they're like they like yeah, almost like walk yeah walk with him as he goes up to the room. He asks for like three beers and that's it. And we get this, this interesting shot of him just like carving his room key into like the form of a blade. And yeah, that first suicide is is really dark to me. And like, the, like I think it's worth mentioning that yeah, like the first two are suicides and then the, the rest of them are sort of just more uh, uh, self, not self-inflicted. The rest are just like, just like killings. And yeah, I don't know. And I, like, I just thought that was an interesting choice. And it turns into like the family straight up murdering people. Like that's how deep they get into this. Cause at, at yeah. first it's like when, when the, uh, I guess the su- second, second and third suicide victims, the couple, when the guy wakes up, they kill him. And it sort of feels like a knee jerk thing. Like he wakes up and he's freaking out. He's kind of attacking people. There's like a zombie vibe, like you said. Yeah. And so, when they kill him, it's it feels a little more reasonable, <laughs> as yeah. reasonable as a murder could be, and then um, but then it sh- turns into uh, gosh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, not sabotage. Uh, they're like working with the landowner to like kill his sister. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're they're scheming basically. <laughs> they're scheming, right? yeah. <laughs> The scheme yeah. is not the word I'm looking for either, but uh, okay. Okay. whatever. <laughs> They're in cahoots. Yeah, um, it's a yeah. premeditated murder. Like, yes, yes, yes. Um, yeah, they become the parents have become cold blooded killers, and the uh, the uncle can't let them do that. Um, yeah, that, yeah, I think that's a, a interesting little turn for them. Yeah, because. They so, like they're like ignoring it. They're just like, yeah, like don't ask him any questions, don't say anything. Like he's just gonna show up. You're just gonna give him the room. You're not gonna ask for any money, mm-hmm. and it's just gonna be like this unspoken thing. There's even a little beat that happens up until like midway through the movie where it seems as if like the two daughters don't know what's happening, and they like yeah. they they're completely oblivious to, <laughs> to these murders. And yeah, it's like as they get further into it, it's like you know, it's like everyone knows, and it's like this like collective joke but yeah it's just like that that whole thing with the the stepsister was like uh, yeah very interesting it's like a weird like sunk cost fallacy where it's like they've already gone this far in they can't turn they just have to keep killing and <laughs> just like yeah yeah they gotta save the business you know yeah there's a, a nice little gag where they're like the mom says like, yeah we have to move the bodies and uh no, no, sorry. The dad says stuff or something like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I think it's like the dad says we have to move the bodies, and the mom is like again, and they're like, well, how many are there? And they both like pause to like count on their fingers to see how many, like what the body count actually is. And I thought that was a nice little silly little moment. Um, 
yeah, I don't really have a ton of other thoughts on this. <laughs> um, well, we've got to talk about the ending where there's this whole little gag where they're trying to burn the bodies inside of the shed. But basically, like, the, the rapist, he comes with his friend, and they keep the friend locked up. Yeah, that is very weird. Shed. Yeah, and the, <laughs> the mom is, like, feeding him. She's, like, she's feeding him, like, some food, and then she tapes up his mouth and blindfolds him. But then he escapes and sort of wanders off into the woods and gets tied up in the trees because of the string. But yeah, then they're like, they're desperate to get rid of all these bodies. So they just pile them inside the shed and start just dumping gasoline onto them. And then there's this whole thing where they were trying to, I guess. It's like a weird Rube Goldberg machine situation. (laughs) Yeah, they're trying to be really discreet inside the cabin. So they, uh, they turn off the uh the breakers yeah Yeah, they turn off the power and so while they're inside dousing the bodies in gasoline the uncle like the daughter is like oh i can't watch tv like what's up and so the uncle's oh i'll turn on the breakers he turns on the breakers the lights spark and it starts a fire and yeah it's just like super ridiculous i'm like oh dude like they're gonna die inside of this yeah so i was like all right they're dead but they don't die which like they like there's this whole extended sequence where the fire goes out they put the fire out and then it starts up again and then it like completely like engulfs most of the room yeah most of the room but yeah like it like it cuts forward and and they're alive they like show up at the dinner table like covered in bandages and i was just like what the fuck and it's a little weird because it's like the rest of the family is eating and it sort of felt like the family didn't know that they were alive until they wandered in or and didn't care to like look for them at all. <laughs> yeah. Like was it was it supposed to be a surprise for the family or was I you know, was I bringing something to the table that wasn't there? I believe so. Yeah. Like yeah, I was definitely like trying to decipher that ending a lot. So I was just like <laughs> how is like like you guys aren't going to like First, like, notice your parents aren't gone, slash, smell the, the, like, <laughs> yeah. the burning shit. It's a fire right outside. It's like, it's not even a fire. It's like, it's a fire burning bodies. <laughs> it's yeah. like, you're like, you're gonna fucking notice that probably. But yeah, they're just, they're just going on by their day. Like, it looks like, I don't, I think they're making a joke that, like, the daughter's cooking doesn't look that appetizing. And she's sort of like, yeah, <laughs> like, like, slopping, slopping on, yeah. like this, like, like a uh, porridge looking thing onto their plates and the dad they like yeah like the the mom and dad walk in really slowly all covered in bandages and the dad assumes the head of the table and she kind of just like <laughs> slops the stuff on the on his plate and i don't know it's just it's just really strange and yeah someone knocks on the door and the uh, the dog is barking and they all turn to shift the dog and now they're the quiet family they are hiding they don't want customers they know that they are cursed <laughs> yeah just just really odd and so yeah just <laughs> that's kind of all i have to really say about it too but yeah just the ending it seems to be uh a, a strange way to sort of uh, wrap up like the events of this movie well now you have to watch happiness of the katakuris um to understand <laughs> like, because yeah that movie I think even like the title sequence is weird. Like even like the first 10 minutes is, I think there's like a clay animation component. I want to say there's like an angel flying around, like eating people or some shit like that. I don't, I don't quite remember. Okay. Um, yeah, sounds but, good. Uh, <laughs> it is very strange. Yeah. And Takashi Mika is definitely a very provocative filmmaker in his own right. So the yeah. fact that he sort of remade this 
or like or remixed it or whatever seems to be like a, a good movie screening. And it's not like so like I went through like a little bit of a Takashi Miike phase in high school. Um, it's not like audition or Ichi the Killer. It's not this like hyper violent thing. It's just kind of a odd, you know, little odd mark on his IMDb page. <laughs> a, a little comical farce. <laughs> yeah, it's very weird. Um, he's directed like 500 movies or some shit. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, is there anything else on The Quiet Family? Uh, I think that's about it. Uh, what have you been watching this week? I am now... Uh, so so I finished the Fear Street trilogy um, okay. on Netflix. Uh, it's really good. I I was very pleased with it. I think it's a good... It is very much a horror series that is based on books for teenagers. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Like, the third movie does something really nice where... Okay, so the way these movies work is each one is in a different year. So the first one's 94. Second one, I think, is like 78 or something like that. And the third one is 1666. Yeah. And the first one, I don't want to talk too much about like what is going on in these movies because I think it is fun to experience that to figure that out on your own. But the first one does have like kind of a slasher vibe. And so does the second one. Uh, but there is this like larger, you know, mythology that is like connecting the movies. Okay. And cool. the third movie, what is really fun is was really fun. Uh, is <laughs> that it has, it takes the cast from the first movie and the cast from the second movie. And it inserts them in this, 1666 time period and it's not like a time travel thing or anything like that they're playing different characters but it is cool yeah it is cool that it like has like this sort of remix component um and yeah like it is fun to see how the mythology develops over the three films and because it kind of cuts back to 94 if we we can kind of consider 94 present day uh we we cut back in time to get uh earlier story and then how does that earlier story influence what happens in present day? And then we cut back again. And how does that influence what happens and our understanding of what's happening? Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's fun to see it unravel. It's fun to like guess where the direction that it's going in. And uh, the violence is pretty good for horror fans out there. Um, it does, okay. even though it is based on a teen book series, it uh, doesn't shy away from some gore effects um which is nice um and yeah it's a good it's a good october movie watch so yeah check out fear street um the other thing i've been watching is i've just finished episode six of squid game which is the marble episode yeah Um, devastating (laughs) so yeah spoilers for squid game uh because i want to talk about this uh, because now I'm at the oh, point yeah. that now I'm at the point where I feel like I'm starting to theorize, like, where's this going? Um, cause you finished it, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. So ugh. yeah, I really want to, I really want to get to the finish line. I'm going to finish it. It still really makes me uncomfortable. The violence in the show. I feel like I, I do not understand why this, this is the number one show in 90 different countries. And that really disturbs yeah, me. <laughs> it's insane. Yeah. I, every it's time like I, all... <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. 
I was gonna say, yeah, it's like everyone, like a lot of people around the globe, like collectively watched episode three. And I was like, yeah, like this is, this is like a really like fun, great show to be watching. It's like people are getting shot while they're like licking candy. Like this is fucking alarming. (laughs) Yeah. And it's like, I feel terrible every time I watch this movie, this, this show. And so I'm excited to watch. I am invested in it. I don't know if I'm excited to watch it. I'm invested. I want to keep up the momentum. I want to see it through. This way I can really understand like what the show is getting at and have conversations about it. Um, But it's like, I'm I'm definitely intrigued, but I feel fucking terrible every time I watch it. Um, And I've been thinking a lot about episode one, especially is like, why does the violence really bother me in episode one? When I'm someone who I've watched tons of violent horror movies and stuff. I was just talking about how the gore effects were good in fear street. Um, like violence usually doesn't bother me, but why does it bother me in episode one? And part of it is definitely that this is a phenomenon. (laughs) Um, I, I like when violence in movies are, are still a a niche thing. (laughs) Like it's not, (laughs) everyone is, uh, on board with it, uh, is, is a little weird to think about, but also I think with a lot of horror movies, you know, we know our victims, we know our villains. Uh, so when we're seeing this violence get commit committed, it, there's there's some humanity to it. Um, whereas in Squid Game, in that first episode, it doesn't feel like there's any humanity to the violence because all we know about all we know about the villains, we don't know anything about them. They're faceless. Uh, yeah. They're wearing masks. We know nothing about these people. The violence is gun violence. It's a very grounded, real-world violence. It's not stylized. Uh, the only stylization is that it uh, takes place within a children's game, which feels more like a, a some sort of perversion rather than a stylization. And then the only oh, thing, we, and the only thing we know about the victims is that they're desperate people, and so we don't really know like what we're losing. Uh, it, we're just watching gun violence be committed against desperate people for an extended amount of time. That is a very long sequence. Yeah, yeah. And I think it gets sort of magnified in episode three when they sort of, they like, they choose, there's like an element of choice there, but they don't know what they're choosing. And so they choose like the shapes. And so, yeah, it's like some people have like the circle and it's like really simple. Then our our main character has the umbrella. So he has like this, this really technical thing he has to use a lot of dexterity to sort of pull off this feat and yeah a lot like those that episode really kind of shook me because it, it felt like yeah like we're just getting a series of just like executions like yeah like people are just getting like they're on their knees like licking this piece of sugar and people like the the guys in the red suits are just like standing right there just like waiting to execute them and it's really intense and but i think there is a difference so so in the first episode these people don't know what they're in for. They don't know that like it's a it, death is what happens to the losers. Yeah. But in episode 3, they've already they've already they already understand that. They voted to leave and they've decided to come back. Yeah, um, yeah. So so I think it hits a little differently. Um even though it does have this um you know, the way it plays out is execution, people on their knees, people standing waiting to execute them. Um the context is different uh and i i didn't true. feel yeah, i didn't true. feel as disturbed by that um yeah it's really the the first episode that really really bothers me and the episode six with the marvels the, the marbles we now understand who these characters are we do understand what the stakes are we understand we're going to lose and 
it like I didn't really find it as m- disturbing as it was just anxiety inducing. Like I felt fucking terrible because you know where the episode's going, like. 40 minutes before the episode's over. So you have to just sit there and watch it happen for like this long extended period of time. And you're that, uh, I don't know, your gut never unclenches, you know? Yeah. That episode six is really interesting because it sort of is one of the few times I'm not going to spoil it, but like where they sort of push you to ally and align yourself with like the main villain within those uh the characters in the green sweaters where there's the like the kind of like bully gangster guy with the mm-hmm. snake tattoo and he's he's like have he's playing marbles against his like underling and there's like this like brief moment where it's like well like you kind of want him to win like a little bit like you know like he's an asshole but like i don't know just like the way that they they build up his victory they made that victory seem really satisfying and then um on the other side with the two female characters when they decide just to have a conversation the entire time and the other girl kind of just like gives up or sort of like concedes yeah. it's like just really sad because yeah just like the contextualizing it with uh her character being like the north korean uh, defector and like she like has like a lot of stuff to actually be fighting for i don't know there's just a lot of like that, that i just love the like the characters in this show and i think they they did a really good job of like humanizing them in a way where it's really interesting seeing like who you end up rooting for in these little games. Um, so yeah, what do you, uh, I mean, I guess you've already seen it, so you got some more knowledge. Um, yeah. Yeah. And especially, uh, cause if you have seven, eight, nine to go yeah. through. Let, yeah. And I've heard the, mo- I've heard the series kind of drops off towards the end that it's like not as satisfying. Would you agree with that? Or? I would agree with that, but okay. there is an episode, there is a sequence that uh, like I'm, fucking in love with that i think is really fantastic just because of just the sheer wackiness and over the The i don't want to say wackiness wackiness. not wackiness wackiness (laughs) is not the word i want to use there the over like just how over the top the uh concept of one of the games is Hmm. is really effective to me um yeah, and if you're on, if you just did episode six and you so you've seen the tug of war episode two yeah yeah i thought that was a lot of fun too that was really cool I like the yeah. way that like the episode ends with them mid tug of war. <laughs> like yeah. you don't get the satisfaction of seeing the conclusion. Um, yeah, this show yeah. is it's really well done, <laughs> and like that. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's like I feel like uh, yeah. I don't know. It's it's. I feel so conflicted about the show because it's very well done, but a lot of it I feel like is morally reprehensible. <laughs> and, <laughs> That's fair. Yeah, I, I just I don't know. There's there's a lot to say about it. I think you're definitely very correct about just the alarming, like just the way that the violence is depicted in the first episode is. Yeah, it's definitely really to note. Like it's 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 it's, it's tough and like a giant like. A girl like a mechanical doll like yeah. the head kind of turning around and looking at you like reminds me of just like surveillance state kind of thing of just like if you move we're gonna shoot you type of like i don't know just just the way that it's sort of just played physically i think is, is there's something to be said about that too would the show how different would the show feel if instead of people shooting them they had well i mean it would be a completely different show because what the show is saying has to do with like the way people obey things i think um, yeah, but um, if it was like battle royale where they had these uh, necklaces that explode, <laughs> like how different? Yeah. How different would the violence feel? 
would it feel more stylized and therefore less disturbing if if people's heads were exploding versus them just being shot i don't know probably maybe not i, I, <laughs> I think falling to your death from playing uh tug, tug of, of war. war and failing i don't know it feels it yeah, felt like a comic like, book or something to me that stuff it, it reminded me of like some like horror mangas that i've read where it's just like so absurd that yeah it's yeah it's not grounded anymore um people getting shot is very grounded <laughs> yeah I don't know. Uh, falling from a tall height is definitely up there on my <laughs> list of fears yeah. Yeah. Like, i, I guess it happens all the time so it's not that it's not that weird um yeah but uh yeah in terms of uh theorizing of where this could go so i was thinking like it'd be cool i don't know how cool it would be cool um but like potential ending the police uh investigator he manages to uh you know blow this whole operation uh just as our small team of competitors our very small team at this point in the final stages are about to uh reach victory you know there's gonna be a winner soon Cops shut it all down. They uh, confiscate the money. They arrest everybody. There are no winners. Everyone who died died for nothing. <laughs> that was one potential ending. I was thinking zero sum. <laughs> yeah, no one wins. Like the cops get the, get all the money. They confiscate it. Everyone just gets sent home who was competing, uh, and everyone who uh, was partaking in making this happen goes to prison or something, uh, or they get away because they're all anonymous. Um, yeah. The other thing I'm thinking is because we know... Uh, so there's this Chekhov's gun, which is the explosives in the tunnel. Something has to happen with that. I don't know what it's going to be. But yeah. um, I'm assuming they're going to explode. <laughs> but there's also the VIPs. So mm -hmm. I'm guessing the VIPs, this is my guess, and I know I'm probably wrong, um, is that the VIPs are past winners. And they come in to bet on the games and because our hero has such a terrible gambling problem, he is going to win, and then he is going to bet on the games, just like betting on the horse races, and he is going to lose all of his winnings, and all of that money is going to go into making sure that the games continue. <laughs> um, that is another potential ending that I've theorized. Um, I, I like those ideas. I'm really curious to see what happens when you finish the show. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah, it's so odd. Yeah, it's, it's such a, like a global phenomenon and they're making memes about it and it's just everywhere on social media. And like you said, it deals with some really heavy, dark, violent themes. And yeah, yeah, I'm happy you sort of stuck out through episode one and sort of <laughs> kept going because yeah, uh, three and six are like the standouts, I think. But yeah, there's there's one more game within the Squid Games. So I think it was really, really fantastic. Okay. All right, yeah excited to finish what have you been watching lately so this week i've been working my way through the uh, a nightmare on elm street franchise oh, really? okay yeah i've never seen any of these movies before this past week since we last talked and they're all on hbo max and so i was you know in the halloween moods decided to go through it so i've watched the first three and how many of them have you seen uh i've seen i think i've only seen the first three actually okay yeah yeah i think that's probably the best way to do it because i don't know how much how, i don't know if the like the quality increases or whatever as they go on but yeah first one's a classic first one's really great yeah early johnny depp first role or whatever i've heard uh, i've heard people say that if they never made sequels the first one would be the scariest movie ever made 
But because we keep seeing Freddy and he becomes kind of a wisecracker in the sequels, yeah. like uh, his character gets watered down. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I don't know. I think his character is really, really compelling. And yeah, I in the first one, yeah, it's like we get just enough of him for him to still be terrifying. Get like the classic, like long arm Freddy inside of the like the alleyway, and just like just just him being in the dreams. It's just it's just really effective. But then, the, yeah, the conversation about horror sequels is the main reason why I want to bring it up because at least on social media there's this big kind of hype on the third one and people saying like dream warriors is like the best. And it's like really interesting, but I find it curious that no one really talks about the second one. I like the second one a lot. <laughs> yeah. I thought the second one was like incredibly provocative because yeah. I was like watching it and I was just like, I feel like this movie has like a uh, gay subtext. Yeah, it. Absolutely as, I continue, <laughs> as I continue to watch, I was like, this isn't subtext. This is just <laughs> yeah. text. This is and I think that's just, really cool yeah yeah like having the main character like jesse it's sort of like beep like it's the typical final girl character that's been played by this uh, a male and just like just dealing with uh freddy krueger being inside of him and like controlling his body and like 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 it's led into the gay nightclub and like just like it's just i don't know there's just so much there was so much going on in that movie another man inside of him (laughs) yeah yeah I, i just like I was watching it. I was like, this is just like pretty fucking mind blowing that like nobody talks about this movie at all. People kind of just jump to Dream Warriors and be like, oh yeah, Dream Warriors is the best. And I was like, Dream Warriors is good, but like, I feel like Freddy 2 had like the most to say, or at least like had like the balls to actually fucking like do something. Yeah, make it about like, something. Yeah, yeah. Like do something like a little bit like controversial and a little edgy and like, yeah. you know, yeah, I don't know. It was just really interesting. And yeah, the effect of, when he goes to his friend's house and like he falls asleep and then like his skin starts to like rip off and everything. That was like the one death or like not death, the one moment of effects that really stuck out to me over uh, all three of these movies. And just, just the way that like yeah, his skin sort of rips open. It's just like really fucking heavy. <laughs> like got to me. Uh, but yeah. Um, what were you going to say? Uh, I heard an interview with Robert England, the guy who plays Freddie. And he was saying something like, the problem with Nightmare on Elm Street 2 is he comes out of the dream. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, it was like the nerdiest, like, criticism. And it's like, that movie would have been great if he just didn't come out of the dream. <laughs> or, like, or someone <laughs> so wakes good. up at the end. <laughs> like, That's so great. Yeah, it's just like, you're, like, you're totally missing the point. <laughs> Where are the dreams in the movie? Yeah, and then in the third one, it's just, it's all that. Like, it's his fear. Yeah, it's like this dealing with group hypnosis and yeah just like just the idea of like the house sort of embodying that dream world and yeah just like this cast of like you 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 mentioned in the movie we watched recently where it's kind of like the the mcdonald's set of kids where it's like like a ragtag group of kids i was like that's that's totally what's happening in dream warriors where you have this diverse group of kids inside of this mental yeah (laughs) yeah i have a fucking uh, smart talking black kid like it's just the the goth girl with the spiked hair it's just (laughs) it it just i don't know it was just really fun sort of sticking with those characters in the wheels in wheelchairs like that was the shit in the 90s (laughs) like yeah (laughs) like wheelchair kids like oh man that was the height of pop culture for them yeah sign put them on a sign cover the science book put them yeah put them in the yeah it's like we're gonna (laughs) cast you you're gonna be front and center and here's this fat fucking paycheck we're gonna 
it's going to get diverse in ways you weren't ready. <laughs> they get ready like, for. I think Malcolm in the Middle is when things tapered off, probably. Yeah, Stevie <laughs> is interesting. Yeah, Stevie the was always a, a favorite character amongst the Churchill household while watching Malcolm in the Middle on Sunday nights. Just him delivering insults over <laughs> like half half breaths, asthmatic breaths, which is just, just very great. But yeah, I just had to give a shout out to A Nightmare on Elm Street. I'm going to continue to watch these movies and go further into the franchise. But yeah, I just wanted to mention two because I was watching, I was like, yeah, but this is some, I feel like this kind of gets swept under the rug over just, because because three is a lot more fun and like has a lot more deaths and a lot more sequences and things to latch onto. But yeah, two, I feel like, yeah, if we're talking about like queer cinema and like modern day, like, you know, just progression of film, I think it's really important to include that in the yeah. conversation. Um, also, I watched uh, Michael Doherty's Trick or Treat. I find that you oh, okay. mentioned this movie a lot of times. Yeah. We watched um, many Godzilla films on the buildup to Godzilla versus Kong. And yeah, he directed uh, King of the Monsters. And so, yeah, he said he was, was good. And I finally got around to watching it and really enjoyed it. I liked, you know, the, the weaving of the stories and thought the casting was really good. And yeah, it's just a, a fun little, like, popcorn kind of Halloween movie that just touches on so many different aspects of Halloween and the lore and just it was, it was a really good time yeah it's like we just need simple little Halloween movies like that just like yeah. they don't gotta knock it out of the park they just gotta be a fun a fun romp Halloween romp. yeah yeah and there's the the, uh, the holiday of Halloween is so rich for so many different reasons just rich in its own lore and its own history, but also just all of the cultural things that have been attached to it over the course of the years, mainly dealing with like horror movies, like just having their own like mythologies and characters. And so it's really great that you can have a movie that's really self-referential and relies on a lot of knowledge of those things, but also is really fresh in the way that it redelivers it. Yeah, I really enjoyed the, in particular, the, the sequence when the kids go down to to like uh, to pay respects to like the bus of kids that like died or whatever, uh, which also is a nice little reference to Freddy too, which I sort of just put, kind of put that together. It's like kids and buses is, is always good uh, good for horror because you know it's, it's you can have a lot of a lot of kids sort of encounter a tragedy or something like that, and then it's great lore for got to respect the dead, pay respects to the dead and the little prank that they play on the other girl, but she sort of just like leaves them down there. I, I, know, I just really enjoyed that. I thought that was really fucking dark. And so, yeah, do, is there a particular part of Trick or Treat that sort of stands out to you? Honestly, I'm struggling to remember it. <laughs> like it's been years okay. since I've seen it. I remember enjoying it. Um... Okay. Yeah, there's like the werewolf girls. There's like the old curmudgeon old man that like lives in kind of like the old bus driver that lives inside of the house alone with the dog who has the face off with the little pumpkin kid or whatever but right. yeah i think i'm gonna have to rewatch it this year um, yeah definitely should it's, it's a good time got it's got dylan baker alan pa- uh, anna Paquin, brian cox it's, it's a good casting i enjoyed it yeah dylan baker um, i always associate him with happiness have you seen happiness the yeah, well, movie. <laughs> I believe so. Yeah, it's very unfortunate that I will always associate with him with that because he plays a pedophile. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, plays kind of a 
a character that is preying on like spoiler yeah he like he kills a kid in this yeah, movie. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah it's like, like so, yeah. Ooh, dylan baker making some rough choices with these roles uh maybe is that just like a victim to like typecasting because he just <laughs> typecasted like, as like a child predator that's really yeah, unfortunate uh, so, yeah that's really fucking Needs to bad. get a better Sorry. agent yeah it's like oh you're older white guy with glasses or like yeah. zodiac killer what's next um, oh yeah, and they the, unmasked the Zodiac supposedly, or yeah, I don't know. Did you see those Facebook posts from that guy who was like friends with him? I saw the Facebook post, but I didn't like dive too much into it because <laughs> it's it like there was a lot of stuff on Twitter that day, and I was like, I, I don't know if I want to go down that rabbit hole at the moment. <laughs> but yeah, it's yeah. like if they if they found him, uh, it's it's good. I don't know. <laughs> I have like I don't have any like substantial thoughts about that. It's interesting that he probably he probably saw the Zodiac movie though. Yeah, that is interesting. And yeah, like, they found uh, some guy with his name. I think his name's like Gary Prost or something like that. Um, the guy who they named, but like they found an IMDb account with that name, and he was like reviewing other serial killer movies he gave like a ted bundy movie one star and he was like ted bundy's oh super God. overrated <laughs> oh that's yeah. fucking great fucking wild he was just a you know he was a poster shit poster wow. that's a that's a show zodiac killer was a troll that's great great to know um uh, last thing i just wanted to give a mention to is i caught up i'm finally all the way caught up with uh what we do in the shadows and there's a really great episode with, uh, have you seen it? The one with the, the cloak of duplication? Oh, yeah, yeah. That, yeah. So from what I read, and I, I, I couldn't find like a definitive source on this, that the actor who plays, well, who's the one that is being duplicated? Mandor. Mandor. That Mandor is doing an impression of all the other characters. Yeah, cause the actor's name is Kaven Novak. Yeah, like so, so it's it's not that they were dubbing him with the other actors; he was just doing an impression of them. Um, yeah, that's why exactly why I wanted to bring it up. So I was like, like, what do you think about that? Because that's, that's pretty, pretty incredible. Pretty like, <laughs> yeah, like, pretty he does a fucking great, great job. Um, yeah, like as I was watching it, I was like, oh yeah, they totally have dubbed it over for you know because he plays another three characters. Yeah. Like he plays. Uh, the impersonates uh, Colin Robinson first, and then uh, the Matt Berry character, and then uh, Guillermo. Guillermo. And I was just, yeah, just like it, he just nails everything from like their mannerisms to just like the particular patterns of their voices. And I just thought that like that was just incredibly impressive. And yeah. I was just like, wow, like that's just just props to them for like having just like that showcase of range. So yeah, from what I read, that is that a uh... So Kevin Novak, the actor, he would impersonate the other actors on set and they all got a kick out of it. And then mm-hmm. so that inspired them to make this episode. Um, so that he just like, got to do it. Yeah. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah, I really love that show and the way that it's, it like progressed. It, season three is a little bit different from the first two, but I do appreciate just the, the character progression yeah. yeah, love Guillermo. He's the homie. I still don't think I don't think anything's gonna match the highs of the Johnny Daytona episode. Um, yeah, but whatever. I'm sticking with it. It's still fun, especially around yeah, yeah. Halloween. Yeah, definitely. Um, okay, I think that might be it. Cool. Uh, so yeah, next week we're watching Hot Fuzz. Hot Fuzz. 
as we continue to work through the Cornetto trilogy. Looking forward to watching that. Okay, okay. So yeah, it has been episode 35 of Vague Zone. 55. If you'd like to... <laughs> wow. Just, just saying wrong numbers. We're back in time. Wrong numbers, <laughs> wrong numbers and words. So this has been episode 55 of Vague Zone. If you would like to contact us, you can email us vaguezonepod at gmail.com. If you'd like to tweet at us on Twitter, at you can tweet at us at Vague Zone. If you have questions, comments, or concerns, let us know. Movie suggestions, please let us know. If you have a franchise you want us to watch, we might watch it. Let us know. We'll check it out. So yeah, this has been episode 55. I'm Thomas. And I'm Daniel. We will catch you on the next one. Peace.